one night actually that we were sitting on the couch that I'll never forget, we like turned and faced each other and we realized like, yes, we had lots of wonderful moments and it really isn't bringing out our best, particularly in those like difficult moments. And we just found ourselves on repeat, like here we are again, the same conversation and not really knowing the way out. And I now know like the research is that couples have the same challenging conversation for like 40 plus years, unless they find the way out. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Carve Your Own Fucking Path, the one and only podcast made to inspire you to create a life and business on your own terms. You'll hear candid interviews with people who have boldly decided to blaze their own trail and the occasional solo show with me, your host. I'm Willa McDonough, on-camera coach, storyteller, and remote video producer. Five years ago, I moved from my home base of San Francisco to the coast of Portugal, taking a big leap into the unknown. Some called it courageous, I called it carving my own fucking path. Today I live in Lisbon and run a business that elevates your online presence, helping you show up confidently on camera to create videos that showcase your brand and personality so you can get more visibility and attract clients by being yourself, doing what you love. If you're just starting out in business or you've been doing it for a while, you're sure to pick up tidbits of actionable advice and hopefully feel inspired by stories from people who have chosen the unconventional and sometimes messy path. And if you've been waiting for a sign to start carving your own fucking path, this is it. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to the podcast, Christine Earthheart. You are tuning in from Indiana. You founded the Center for Thriving Relationships, which you did with your amazing husband. Can't wait to hear more about him. And you essentially help couples deepen their connection, go through conflict much more gracefully, peacefully, and really find and create the love that they have always wanted, which I think is is one of the greatest gifts that you could give any human being on this planet. You are the host of your own show called The Thriving Relationship Show, an excellent podcast that I've been binging. You're a TEDx speaker, and you are a firm, enthusiastic believer in love and what is possible for each of us. Thank you for being on the show. I'm so grateful and honored to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Willow. Thank you. I like to always just dive right in. Was there a moment that you can describe when you decided I'm going to carve my own fucking path and help other people find love and create the most insane relationship? of their lives. Yes. And we definitely have, I mean, there's so many moments, right. Of like committing and recommitting. And there was definitely a defining moment for us. So Brett is my husband. So we've been together over 20 years now. And we, like many couples had a very kind of like sparkly, magical start to our love where we just like saw each other's best, gave each other our best, just Mm -hmm. wanted to keep giving and giving without keeping score. All the wonderful, amazing things that happen in those early stages for many people. And then all of a sudden, fast forward a few years, and we own a home together, and we are co-parenting our young son, and we're discovering that we have differences in kind of how clean we like the house, how we manage money, how we perceive parenting, so many things. So these differences that, yes, like initially attracted us, all of a sudden, we didn't have the skills on how to navigate how to navigate that skillfully, even though we both had done lots of personal growth and relationships, I find them to be so uniquely humbling and so uniquely profound because they bring Mm -hmm. to the surface any of our unconscious patterns, any of our fears, 
any of our old outdated beliefs or stories or wounds, whatever it might be, like there's no place for any of that to hide. And we both had done lots of meditation, just had been on a path of like personal and spiritual growth before we came together. And I remember thinking like, oh, I, relationships are going to be easy. Like I'll never... Relationships will be easy. Like I'll never get into an argument about the dishes, you know, and here we (laughs) are. And so one night actually that we were sitting on the couch that I'll never forget, we like turned and faced each other and we realized like, yes, we had lots of wonderful moments and it really isn't bringing out our best, particularly in those like difficult moments. And we just found ourselves on repeat, like here we are again, the same conversation and not really knowing the way out. And I now know like the research is that couples have the same challenging conversation for like 40 plus years unless they find the way out I know so most couples can relate to like oh here you can just like press the repeat button and here we are again so we looked at each other and we're like okay we have options here we can either just really like bless each other on our separate paths and just give thanks for the journey we had and realize we sort of graduated we were ready for the next thing which was a very painful option and one that we really deeply considered or we could kind of keep doing things how we had been doing them. And we realized like, okay, five years from now, we're probably going to be right back, you know, in the same spot. Or we could dive in and learn everything we possibly could about relationships specifically. Because we thought like, maybe, you know, we've done a lot of personal growth, but we haven't really learned about relationships. So let's at least see if something more is possible. Because it wasn't a lack of love that we had for each other. It was just, we were getting stuck. And so that night, I wish I had a picture of it because we ordered this tall stack of books and at the time it was like dvd courses and cds and we devoted every friday night became our conscious date night and so you're just committed every friday night we would like learn something new and apply it and grow and our relationship started utterly transforming Mm -hmm. and then we started attending like couples retreats around the country and it was like the lights came on and finally we understood each other and we realized like oh my gosh in those moments i'm literally doing the opposite of what is helpful for you and how to both get our needs met, how to harmonize our differences and how to communicate in a whole new way. And we both had been, I'm kind of a long time, I was doing more energy healing and somatic coaching and Brett is a licensed psychotherapist. We've both been seeing clients individually. And we started then like, well, let's start just like having their partners come in to the sessions with them. And we realized like, whoa, the catalyst that relationships are for growth. And we just fell in love with like the healing and transformation that became available. And then over 10 years ago, we decided to actually open up the Center for Thriving Relationships and really devote our lives to supporting couples because we just see it's the area of life that so innocently, it can be like the kindest people, the most loving people, successful in so many other life domains, and yet relationships, if we haven't learned the roadmap, it can just bring out so much pain and so much unnecessary suffering. So it's like so much unnecessary suffering, and then there's so much untapped potential for joy. And so, yes, that I would say that moment, though, I never thought I would be like supporting other couples or that I'd even be going on this own life changing journey myself. And it was like a powerful moment of really committing and choosing that. And now, you know, many, many years later, and it's really the marriage of our dreams. And we're like, let's just see how good it can really get as long as we always nurture. We're always nurturing our relationship. So it doesn't just, you know, it's like a requirement for all couples, no matter how thriving we may be or how much we've like prioritized or done the work it's like it still is a living thing that we're always needing to tend to right I'm glad you said that too there's misconceptions I would say a couple like 
you guys and they I'm sure people and you know your clients well you guys are perfect and this is just comes easy to you you've built the center and you have all these courses and and workshops but it is a, a daily a daily practice I mean it's that's why they call it the work right or it takes work yes that's yeah. that's the thing was there any influence over you at that time that that stuck out to you the most was there anyone out there that was doing it in a way that you said okay I want to maybe recreate something similar to a let's I don't know what to call it exactly but but anyone out there that was doing it that you you admired yeah we really fell in love with the work of doctors Gay and Katie Hendricks who became mentors and we love them and just admire them so much and it was really really incredible to to learn from them so we went through their coach certification so many years ago we actually got engaged at the end of our coach certification with them and they bring in the whole body and they bring in play and how like growth and transformation can also be playful and enjoyable, which was a wonderful message. But I think so much was that they are a couple who's really embodying it. And I think Mm -hmm. for like our brains and our hearts, like it's just so helpful to see it outside of ourselves. And yeah, they're, I'm so grateful for them. So yeah, Gay and Katie Hendricks for sure were dear, dear mentors of ours. And, you know, we are so fortunate that we've learned from many people now over the years and they were a part of kind of our entryway into it and seeing how they would interact like, oh, I see it now. I get it. Right. I have heard of them. Not super familiar with their work, but sounds familiar. They're fabulous. They wrote Conscious Loving, which was Mm -hmm. a bestseller like 20 some years ago. And then he, Gay Hendricks is oftentimes known for The Big Leap, that book. And he coined the term mm. the upper limit problems. So if anybody's heard of that. Anyway, they're fabulous. I highly okay. recommend checking them out. That sounds great. What was your TEDx talk on, by the way? It was, thanks for asking. It was on joy potential. So that is kind of a, a term that I came up with. So I have two real passions in my life that are totally related so relationships and then also studying joy and joy mm-hmm. on so many levels, spiritual practice of joy, how we can get rewired for joy, how we can open our hearts fully to joy, how we can like re-imprint all of our beliefs around joy, all the levels. And so to really access the joy that is possible for all of us and relationships, you know, are so connected to that, but it was really all about how to awaken our joy potential and okay. that we all have this inside of us and can really, you know, increase our set point so that that becomes our new automated kind of way of landing in mind, mm-hmm. body, heart, and spirit, kind of higher state of mm-hmm. being. Okay. So elevating your state of being, because I've mm-hmm. seen the scale of energy. I don't know. It's hard to explain in a way, but there's the scale of the bottom. It's guilt and shame, which is the lowest vibration of energy, guilt, yeah. shame. And then there's anger, which is a little bit higher. And then there's joy, enlightenment at the very top. <clears throat> so essentially it's like, elevating your energy to that point so that your state is is at that point most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because when we're in a state of joy, we can usually forgive so much more quickly, have so much more empathy, experience mm-hmm. more aliveness. Yeah. We have more to contribute. We feel more spiritually connected, you know, so many things. We can manifest things more readily. And so I love the energetic vibration kind of piece of it. And it also just on people really understanding you know, anatomically, how we can really reroute the circuitry of our brains towards joy. And so depending on where people are in their journey to really, or it's like, you might have the brakes on because subconsciously 
you know, something occurred. And so we, we have all these different ways where we protect ourselves and really inhibit our joy. So, but yes, it is definitely helping us access that because so much like a world of possibilities opens up when we're in the frequency of joy and in our relationships, certainly it shifts things. Mm, Yeah, this is definitely, this sounds pretty good. And also the, the, the attainment of that, I think sounds, I don't know. I'm curious how that would happen. And I can understand. Oh, I would like to hear from you. Let's say in your daily life, is it a morning routine? Is it something that keeps you in that state? If you could give us a little snapshot of that. I'm so happy to share. Yeah. My morning practice, like many, right. It is, it is really a non-negotiable in my life. And so it's just like staying up to date, just like, I mean, I just love the mirroring, just like our relationship we have with our partner, how we want to continually nurture it. And if our partner has an upset, you know, we don't want to react to it. We want to lean in and see like, what's the preciousness underneath that. So it's like doing that inner relating work with myself. So whatever is arising, you know, turning towards that and seeing everything, every emotion, every situation, whatever it might be, ultimately, you know, if we can turn towards it with love and with awareness and intention can all be, you know, a pathway back to our inner light and our center and to our joy. And so, yes, my morning practice, just tuning into a joy that connects me to all things and kind of realigning with that and, and really taking moments to see like the gift in everything and everyone. And our brains are just not wired for that. We really are wired for survival and to be protecting ourselves. And so we completely can, we can have the most wondrous life. And if we don't pause to see it as such, like it just passes right on by and we could be utterly miserable. And so I just take time every moment, every morning to like scan my life and look for all of the gifts and blessings and all the things that I have to learn from whatever's going on. And so many things mm-hmm. and I love ritual and ceremony and but it's like how to live life with greater intention. Mm-hmm. Someone shared with me the yeah. analogy that I love that like when we do our morning practice or, or take a moment just to get centered and aligned and connected that it's like putting a one in our day and the rest of the day is a bunch of zeros. And so like kind of when we do that, the whole value of our day really increases. Um, I like that. Fun, so I... It's so, and most people I speak to that have, let's say, I don't want to say achieve certain things, but just live their own, they're carving their own path. They are, you know, doing something that they, believe in, they're passionate about, and let's say achieving also a lot of things and experiencing a lot of joy and in all different ways, whether it's family, financially, it is these routines and these, this discipline, let's say, and discipline gets a bit of a a negative spin, but I think more and more, I'm like, okay, there's something to this, of course, and really getting and taking responsibility for how you start your day and how you end your day. How do you, in the middle of the day, and so you've, you've mentioned a few times the wiring of our brains and it, have you rewired your brain throughout this process or have you always been this, you seem very open, light, looking of course at, a, at life with a, a more positive outlook than most. Is that something that you've always embodied or is this something that's really changed? Yeah, it's a great question. When I get asked a lot, like, have you always been this happy? And I would say, that's like really easy for me to answer. So no, no, I have not always had this. It's definitely been through my my practice of like continually coming home and 
reorienting, you know, it's really like we kind of end up in whatever direction we're facing in life, you know, on every, any given day. And so getting so clear before I go into situations, I'm like setting intentions and placing my hand on my heart. So many moments to like line up because we have all of these different, you know, aspects of who we are, all are wonderful and valuable. And like, what do we want really leading our lives? And so calling forth our values, how we want to show up, how we want to feel, who we want to be for others, what we want to create in the world, like getting clear mm -hmm. over and over. And then it's so amazing. I find like in getting really clear, kind of dialing that in, calling that forward, like it already exists inside of us and, you know, in this infinite universe that we're in. And so, and so it's about really calling it forward and then the path gets revealed from there. So it's like, oh, if how we know we want to show up for our partner is with like kindness and love and empathy. If we enter into a conversation with that, the way will be revealed to us so much more readily than when we go in with an unconscious intention of like, I'm going to go in to make sure they hear what I have to say. And so right. I hmm. love living life with abundant intention. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then when things don't go, let's say as you had, I don't want to say expected because I can, but do you expect things then to go a certain way, even with the intention? So if they didn't, if they don't go that, that way, how do, how do you, how do you find yourself, let's say responding or reacting, or do you catch yourself in, in the reaction mode? Yeah. You know, I think it is part of the wiring. Like I've just developed such a deep belief that, you know, like if it hasn't worked out yet, it just isn't the end. And so, or mm -hmm. that we can like turn whatever it is. So it's not a passive. It's like that we get to really consciously grow the good and turn anything into something wonderful. So if it, so if it didn't go as planned, it's still like looking for like, okay, what is the gift in this? How can I turn this into something wonderful? So again, it's not like, it's not even just looking for what's there's like one level of like looking for, okay, what's also going well, or how is this here to help me awaken or to grow or to heal? Like, how is this kind of here to support my evolution in some way? But it's also like creating it. So I love this idea. It's like when there's a challenge in life, rather than like, you know, attaching to the challenge or fixating on it, it's like, how do we grow the good so fully around it in response to it so that the challenge shrinks in proportion? Mm -hmm. So if it doesn't go as planned, I'm like, okay. How do we turn this into something wonderful? But I find there's pretty much always an answer if we like have conviction and a wholehearted approach to that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you ever have bad days? And really challenging things happen. I mean, that's not to, that's not <laughs> yeah. to overlook, like really, really challenging things happen. And of course it's about right. being with all of that and being mm -hmm. with that so fully and completely. And so that's even part of how do I turn it into something wonderful is like, whatever. I mean, all of our emotions, of course, are like such incredible treasures. And so and they're all like to pause and really hear them and see like, what's the unmet need underneath that. And mm -hmm. so right. I think it's like seeing things as all pathways back to love. Mm -hmm. I like that. I'm curious about relationships and, and the ways that you break them down and work with people. Can you explain the five predictable stages of relationships? And yeah, is this something that you've sort of coined and come up with, or is this part of the the work that you've done or gathered yeah. from others? Yeah, 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 yeah. So the way that we kind of explain it is unique to our approach, but certainly people have different stages out there. This is really what we've seen in our work, though, is that okay. we have the first stage is the romance stage. And so 
that's when, of course, there's just aliveness and hope and enchantment. Again, we're like seeing each other's best, giving each other our best, giving without keeping score. Oftentimes couples in this stage are like, gosh, other relationships have been so hard, but this one feels so easy. Like communication is easy. We just don't have conflict. And I am a very optimistic person. And when a couple would come into the office like that, of course, I want to so celebrate where they are. And I'm like, you know, just wait for it. And this is a good thing. Right, right. Like just growth wanting to happen. And so I've yeah. never met a couple, you know, that stayed together long enough that avoided getting into conflict. Mm-hmm. And so stage one though, is the romance right. stage. If we didn't have that, we probably would like, it'd be like the end of our species because, you know, we mm-hmm. kind of, were, there's like a chemical rush. We kind of need to not see the whole person because in some ways we can see people's essence so much more clearly because it's not filtered by our own fears, our own wounds, our own projections that tend to like, you know, we place them on top of that. Once we're with someone and we become more attached to how they show up and what they say and what they don't say. So then stage number two is the power struggle. And that's basically like what I want and what you want feel like they're in opposition or my personality and your personality feel like they're in opposition. I want you to be more like this. And so oftentimes communication, before it was a dialogue, it becomes two monologues and we're both just in our heads thinking about how we're right, the other person's wrong, or, you know, wanting to kind of get our own needs met. And so we go more into kind of survival strategies for that, that the needs themselves are so beautiful, but our strategies tend to not be the best. So blaming, criticism, dominating, controlling, checking out, withdrawing, all, all the wonderful things we humans mm-hmm. can, you know, d- do. And then the third stage is commitment. So a lot of couples will spend their entire lives in one long drawn out power struggle. So we've probably seen those couples. Other couples will end their relationship then thinking like, this must just not be meant to be. Isn't it supposed to be a lot easier if we're really like supposed to be together? And so the third stage, so often when couples are in that place, it's like, oh, they're only seeing a tiny fraction of who they can really be together rather than the totality of their relationship. So the third stage is about making a powerful commitment to doing whatever it takes to at least seeing the potential of our love. We don't need to know the way, we're just gonna dive all in. And then the fourth stage is growth. So it's like learning all the things about relationships we simply have never learned before. And then the fifth stage is thriving. And that's really the best parts of the romance stage because there is that aliveness, there's hope, we're giving each other our best, we're focusing on each other's best, we're loving the whole person. And there's a deep sense of trust and security and we have a compelling vision for our future. And we've kind of integrated the tools and it's not like we get to thriving and we're just permanently there. Like we were talking about before. It's like, yes, just joy (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Not at all. It's like, oh, shucks, we're back in a power struggle. So here we are Mm -hmm. time to like recommit. And now how do we need to grow so we can go back into thriving? So Brett and I in our own Mm. relationship, our aim is not that we permanently get to thriving. It's like, how do we spend less and less moments in a power struggle? And how do we like recommit as quickly as possible to like growth and do the inner work as quickly as possible so we can get back there. So we just want to shorten the amount of time we're in those difficult moments, learn and grow as much as possible, and then spend as much time as possible, of course, in thriving. But the aim is not to never have conflict. That if a couple doesn't have any conflict, it probably means they're just things not being talked about. Right. I always, I have heard that when we never, we've never fought. And I'm like, that's actually, that's a bad, that's a red flag, I think, because you're right. Things are just not being you're not fully expressing yourself or, or being truthful. So that, that's fascinating. I love that because it, and then you, and then it sounds like you do the stages and is there any set time frame usually for any of these that you see? 
That might be hard. It's such answer. a good question. I would say, <laughs> you know, the moving from romance to power struggle could be a few months to a few years. It could take mm-hmm. a few years, especially if a couple's not living together. Living together tends to accelerate. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Really, there's no place for any of our stuff to hide or we're tired or stressed. Like it all kind of comes out. So I would say usually in the first year or two, that's going to, you're going to hit a power struggle. And then a power struggle, a couple could tragically yeah. spend really decades mm-hmm. in a power struggle. And so I think how quickly we make that commitment and do the growth determines how quickly, you know, how that really is. It is like, how committed are we to growth determines mm-hmm. how well a relationship will, will go, I think. Right. And the commitment part is interesting because it's committing to the growth, not to each other. Because right. think about how many couples commit, they get married, they have a child and they're still potentially in that, the power struggle. So it's committing to the growth. Yes. Yes. That is such a good distinction. And when mm-hmm. couples come to us, you know, we don't believe that every couple should stay together indefinitely. That is such a personal choice. And sometimes we learn what we need to, and we really do graduate right. and, you know, so beautiful. And our invitation to people, you know, if, if this resonates with them is like, well, let's just like dive in at least see what's possible so that you can make your decision based on that. You know, like are our values and our vision, are they just misaligned? If that's the case, oh my gosh, go create mm-hmm. like your greatest lives elsewhere. And is it just that you're just like stuck in these patterns in a really, really, really painful place. Mm-hmm. And once we can like unlock you know, the pattern and find the off ramp and learn to hear each other in a whole new way and get your needs, all the things like you might discover that this is the person that you've always wanted is like sitting right next to you. And let's, then you can at least Mm -hmm. have peace of mind, you know, to know that either like I made the right decision by, by ending the relationship or thank goodness we didn't miss out. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the, the commitment is not, is not to like staying together forever. When you make that commitment, it's like, let's, let's just see what's possible here. Right. I love that. And you, what, what about, I know every relationship is different, but when you have, let's say a betrayal, I've actually interviewed a betrayal trauma coach, fascinating, who spent, you know, specifically worked with this with women that had been betrayed. So I'm curious if, if, let's just say trust, it doesn't have to be a, you know, like a, a cheating sort of situation, but when there's been, the trust is, it's shaky. It's been it's been lost early on. Any, do you, do you come across those types of things where it's like, that's a really, that's a hard thing to move forward through? Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is such a, it is such a painful moment for people. And what usually when I'm working with someone, there's sort of like a checklist to look at, like where, if it's, if someone is struggling to move on, oftentimes we're one of these pieces that's sort of missing. And so it allows us to see like, oh, let's make sure we really had resolution around this area. So one would be the one partner, like taking radical responsibility for what happened. And of course, nearly every relationship challenge is co-created. So typically it's about looking at like, okay, how did I contribute to this? How can I show up in a different way to get a different result? And, you know, when, something hurtful has happened. Like it's so relieving and healing and bonding when our partner just takes radical responsibility, not like, Oh, I did this betrayal, but it's because you weren't present, you Mm -hmm. know, that rather than like, Oh, I I did this betrayal because I wasn't communicating to you in a way that was effective about what I really needed or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and so someone just like really, really owning it, because if we feel like our partner doesn't get it, doesn't own it, then it like 
diminishes the chances that they're going to prevent it from happening again. Whereas if someone radically right. owns their role in things like, oh, then they can probably radically own their ability to create something different in the future. So respond, taking responsibility, hearing our partner take responsibility, having empathy. So feeling like someone has been able to express the depth and breadth and totality of their emotional experience in a really kind of sacred, safe container where their partner is letting them feel their feelings to completion and just giving them loads of validation and empathy. And so sometimes people are like, well, I've kind of held back. So creating a space for that to occur is really important. Understanding is another piece of it. So some people have a hard time letting go of the hurt because they don't really understand why it happened. And sometimes it's mm -hmm. what was happening in the relationship. Sometimes it's someone, you know, maybe they were struggling with self-worth. And so they, it could be any number of things that they were feeling a lack of purpose or passion in their own life. And so they sought that elsewhere. But having right. that understanding, again, it like just can be assuring, like, okay, if we understood, understand what happened and why it happened, then it prevents us you know, from it happening again in our relationship. And that just allows people to let go so much more easily. So if they feel like their partner's taking responsibility, they're offering them empathy. Um, we kind of understand why it happened. And then having a path forward for like, can your partner make it up to you in any sort of way? And sometimes there are things that, you know, maybe we wouldn't do long-term, but short-term is like really, really meaningful that demonstrates a partner's commitment. And then long-term, you know, what do we need to, what, what do we need to put in place and it's not just about like, you know, apps to check each other's phones. It's like, how do we create the most dynamic thriving relationship that just becomes like, we are so connected that we would never want to do anything that would risk losing, you know, what we have. So mm -hmm. that can give people a lot of assurance. Like, okay, we're really nurturing and growing our love because that's going to create so much resilience. Um, so those are some areas that tends to be helpful for people. Mm, um, and then really of course, good. doing our own, our own inner healing work as well, because just, the triggers, you know, even if all those things have occurred, you know, it could be that say if somebody had an affair, it could be every time you even see your partner's phone, you know, you just, cause you found trigger. out on their phone, it can be a trigger. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, you know, love doing any sort of like somatic practices or there's so many things we can do to access the subconscious and, you know, our nervous systems that we just feel like a sense of safety and well-being again in mm -hmm. order to move forward. So that piece can be really an, an act of just self-love, not like doing it for oneself and of course for the relationships too. So you can move forward. Right. I love that you work on all those levels because it's so important. And you said Brett is a psychotherapist, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Is he practicing yeah. on, on that level also with people or you're just, you're just doing the, not just, but you're doing the relationship work together. Yes. Yes. Brett has been trained in, breath work and you know emdr and mm -hmm. tapping things and yeah yeah breath work hypnotherapy all sorts of things so yeah that's a more kind of a holistic approach is mm -hmm. one we're passionate about because they impact yeah we're impacted on every level and it's so important that we address it on all of those mm -hmm. and you work with a lot of science-based techniques mm -hmm. also were the yeah. which ones are those could you throw some of those out or would that yeah. be the hypnotherapy yeah. Yeah. And even just the research. So Dr. John Gottman, of course, mm -hmm. is the leading researcher, right. you know, of relationships. So we pull from his research a lot and the research on attachment theory, you know, is, is mm -hmm. so helpful for couples to understand that we're like wired for love. And here's what's actually happening in your body and your brain. When you feel like your partner's not available or not responsive or not engaged, or they withdraw, like here, you're going to primal panic. And so helping people understand you know, what occurs in those moments of rupture or disconnect. 
And so, so yeah, I'm so grateful for, for the science around attachment theory. Mm -hmm. So he's the guy behind the attachment theory. Okay. Oh yeah. So, well, Dr. John Gottman, he's more overall relationship. So like one of his famous kind of research little snippets is that you want to aim for a ratio of five to one positive to negative interactions Mm -hmm. during moments of conflict. And then you want 20 to one ratio during kind of positive or neutral times. And so that every couple kind of has an emotional bank account and every interaction Mm -hmm. we're either putting a deposit in or taking out a withdrawal. And if our, you know, that we call it kind of the love account, if the love account is high, then we just have resilience during times of stress. We naturally give each other the benefit of the doubt. We see each other's best intentions. Um, We Mm -hmm. have empathy so much readily. We're really functioning as allies. Whereas if the love account is low, so say maybe you criticize your partner, you know, three out of one times you say something kind to them, then, you know, it's just everything is more challenging. And we just really are seeing each other as adversaries. And then when we don't agree, we dig our heels in even deeper rather than get generous and willing. And so his research is more, he studied really what, what are the couples that are thriving? What do they do differently? Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of a whole methodology around that. So we're so thankful for him. Okay. So I have heard of this also, of his work. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then Dr. The, the, Sue Johnson. Yeah. There's lots of people doing amazing work around attachment. Mm-hmm. Especially on Instagram. If you go there. It's, it's so true. There's <laughs> so much. So much. I follow a lot of these accounts that are, that are relationship based and it's these little snippets. A lot of them are therapists. So it is coming from a credible source, but to like these little bite sides, you know, information, yeah. I think, gosh, we, we've become like, we just consume co- these things so much differently now, but now okay. it's, it's a conversation amongst most friends. Oh, you secure attached, you anxious attached, or, you know, people in the dating world. I mean, we just have so much more language, but I find that there's potentially more labeling that is happening that isn't necessary or isn't warranted let's say there's a lot of narcissists out there apparently yeah <laughs> because totally. there's yeah a lot of yes. content around that so yes yes there are certain time. words definitely that become buzzwords and <laughs> yeah and it's so wonderful like we're progressing and learning these things and I so love that and yes yes taken out of context sometimes they can it can do more harm than good, like gaslighting. Yeah. Right. That's a big yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yes. So let's say that you are anxious, attached, or avoidant, and you you want to go towards the secure. So first of all, is that possible? Can we change our, our, our attachment style? And can you get on the path of, let's say, both being securely attached, even if you're in this, you know, avoidant, anxious, that sort of kind of becomes a magnet? to each other. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> like the great news is that we can totally create secure Yay. attachments, not that we just like have a certain attachment style or in our relationship. So that's really what, you know, we are so honored to support couples in doing is creating a securely attached relationship because I think the beautiful thing in those that identify as being anxiously attached or or secure attached, you know, or avoidant, it's like ultimately we're all after connection and a really mm-hmm. common moment that occurs in relationships is that, you know, someone who we can see as the pursuer and a pursuer in a relationship would be more than anxiously attached. And we pursue the conversation until we have resolution. So what it looks like is we're the ones that are more prone to follow our partner to the other room, like Mm -hmm. as they're walking away, like, Hey, Mm -hmm. we're not done yet. And we just like want to emotionally process until it feels complete. Like we feel uneasy until we reach resolution. 
And we can come across as maybe being critical, controlling, dominating, just overwhelming to the other person. And we feel alone. Usually the person who's pursuing or anxiously attached feels like I'm in this all alone. You just don't care about me. I'm not appreciated. Meanwhile, the person who withdraws, which can be more of the avoidant, you know, so the pursuer is pursuing because we want connection. It feels like connection is gone. So we want to reestablish connection and the withdrawer or the avoidant individual oftentimes is like, oh my gosh, well, when I come close to you right now, good things are not happening. So I'm going to actually step back to hold on and preserve any remaining bit of connection, you know, that exists. <laughs> and so right. as the withdrawer, the avoidant person, you know, withdraws, they're like, well, I don't want to come close because I feel like I can never do enough. Like, I can't make you happy. I feel like you see me in, you know, a negative lens and I don't like being seen in that way. But of course, as they avoid or withdraw, you know, the pursuer, the anxiety just goes higher and higher. And it just gets us in this terrible loop because we end up doing the opposite of what works. So when we can mm -hmm. uncover what's actually underneath it. So the person who's, you know, anxious or pursuing what they long for usually more than anything is to feel like their partner's engaged, they're responsive, they're emotionally available. And so right. it's like in those exact moments. So when we see our partner, you know, maybe exhibiting some things that aren't necessarily the most attractive qualities that maybe their voice is raised or they're using a lot of words or they have a lot of emotion around something rather than checking out. It's like, oh, that's the very moment to realize like, oh my gosh, they're just terrified right now. Ultimately, mm -hmm. lean in and engage and then they're going to, ah, oh, they're going to soften and relax. And the same is for someone that is witnessing their partner withdrawing or avoiding, you know, rather than pursuing them with even more emotions, which then scares them off even more. It's like, how do I soften? How do I point out to you the things I actually also appreciate and all of your good intentions and have empathy, like rub your back, something like that. And so it's really knowing, it's like developing the x-ray vision so that we're not just reacting to the surface and then putting our interpretation around that on our partner. It's like, oh, here's what they actually need in this moment and offering them that instead. And it's such a game changer. That's just like mm -hmm. one example, but that's a really common dynamic that couples get into. Definitely. I resonate with that. And it was, yeah, the anxious, you really, I think clarified even more than, than I've heard before. And it, it, it is extremely common. And I think, and you can be both, right. You can. Flip -flop. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, we can be, we can do it. All, <laughs> all, all of them. Yeah. All. yeah. And have you seen that couples, let's say, let's say one person's doing the work in the relationship, they shift by default, how does the other person usually, how does it turn out when one, one person shifts their behavior? Well, ideally, you know, we see the change in the relationship. And I think especially if there's a level of unattachment, you know, and we like are giving our partner space and time to come to it on their own. I mean, it is phenomenal what can change. I mean, I know on any given day, like I'll go to my meditation cushion and do the inner work. I'm like, oh my gosh, like the world is such a mirror here. I thought it was about Brett and it's really, you know, how I was showing up around this certain situation. So I think it is so incredible when we start really getting curious rather than what do I need from my partner, which is such a valid question, but really looking at like, what does this relationship need from me in order to go to the next level? And if mm -hmm. we ask ourselves that every day, you know, over the course of, you know, some months, the re the relationship is like destined to transform unless, or it'll become even more apparent, you right. know, that it's right. just not a good match. So that can mm -hmm. certainly happen if our partner is really 
you know, not, not fluid in any way, like around, if we just don't see any sort of positive change or growth in them, then that might make that, you know, clear. Otherwise, like, yes, it is. I just, it's like one of my favorite parts of the human experience is how much the world is our mirror and so much more right. empowering and so much more liberating. But to really sit, but we need to like take time. I find it really, really sit with because, you know, our defenses will be like, oh no, I wasn't a part of that. And it's like to really deeply go into like, how did I create this? Like if my partner's not listening rather than just going to, they're not listening. It's like, oh, I wonder how I'm communicating in a way that's making it challenging to hear me. And I wonder how I communi can communicate differently. You know, mm -hmm. that they'll be able to hear my heart more readily and like really getting deeply, deeply curious and showing up differently and just having it be this experiment. Right. Oh, I experiment. I love that too. It's like doing it, you know, trying these things out because you just, you never know until you actually put it into practice. And that's the thing is I've loved personal growth for, for 20 plus years, consuming this, this reading this. And, and then I realized, okay, but am I actually putting it into practice? Mm -hmm. That's the next step. And that's then relationships, totally. they show you where all your, your stuff is, you know, and oh, what was my question? Oh, the mirror thing. Okay. So relationships are mirrors. And in that, does it mean they're reflecting back exactly how you are or reflecting back more on just what you said that they're showing you maybe this is how you can communicate a bit better in that way? Or because I hear this a lot, the relationships are a mirror. So yes, yes. And I think it can be a mirror in lots of different ways. I think sometimes relationships help mirror to us like what we really value. Like, oh, I can see in this that there's like something, either it's like incongruent with what I value. And so I'm, it's helping me clarify what I really do value. This could be friendships or romantic relationships. It could mirror to us, you know, we are blind spots, which we all have. We can't mm -hmm. see them. And so we tend to project them onto others to help us wake up to what's actually inside of us. That's holding us back in some way that we're just not able to access. And so certainly there are projections. So our own, our own judgments, our own fears, our own shadows, whatever it might be, things for us to look at that need our own consciousness and healing and attention. And then it can just be, yeah, I mean, that would be, I think, a big way. And then also though a mirror for how we're showing up. And so mm -hmm. it's like, oh, right. My partner, like we were just talking about my partner is shutting down. Ah, that's reflecting how I'm approaching them. Right. You know? okay. And then it's looking at like, okay, and that's reflecting what is inside of me that I am approaching them in that way. Like, what is my deeper fear here? And how am I trying to manage that fear and that anxiety outside of myself rather than like self-sourcing and me doing the work to like really secure that insecurity and get free mm -hmm. that way. Okay. That's helpful. And do you believe, I mean, I even bought a book a while ago called How to Find the One. I think that's the name, something like that. And I never started it. It's a, it's a work, it's a workbook that you go through. And I just, I thought, is there really the one? What's your belief on that? Yes. Oh my gosh. That belief can be put so much pressure oh, oh. on us. If we think there's just like so one, much. I remember that's really, I grew up thinking there is a soulmate yeah. for me somewhere on this planet. How am I going to find them? And like excited. Like I can't wait to meet this person. And what a miracle that we actually find this one person. I really, I think I spent most of my growing up years, like really believing mm -hmm. there was like one person and oh my gosh, then it can create so much relationship anxiety. People that are prone <sighs> to anxiety, like, are they the one? What if they're not the one? And we start to like fixate on any area they're imperfect because, well, shoot, if I choose them, maybe I'm actually missing out on this greater soulmate that's really out. So it can 
cause so much harm or thinking Mm -hmm. when we experience some sort of incompatibility, thinking that, okay, well, they must not be the one then. And instead, my belief is, I mean, we live in this abundant universe and how wonderful that there are so many humans that we could create amazing lives with and compatibility is absolutely like created. And people see Brett and I, you know, could easily think like, oh my gosh, you two just like seem like you belong together. And it is not mm-hmm. because we're just lucky or that just happened on its own at all. We could very well be highly incompatible. We share a lot of values for sure, but our personalities right. are actually pretty different. And we have like different tendencies and like, I'm a planner and Brett loves to do things last minute, which is so wonderful. (laughs) I adore that part of him. But like, I mean, there's just a zillion things like that. And so, so we, it's just like how we work with these things. You can totally create secure attachment. You can create compatibility. You can create wonderful communication and we can create that with so many different humans. Yeah. Brett and I are very aware and we've said it to each other. Like, oh my gosh, you could, you could live this beautiful life. Like, I wonder what your life would have been like if you would like chosen a partner that was like that, you know, like that probably would have been also a beautiful life. And so like, that doesn't need to be threatening. It really is like, oh, I can really just create it with the person I'm with right now. And how do I, you know, those questions are so natural, of course, like, is this the right person? It's a healthy, wonderful question. It's just when it goes into anxiety Mm -hmm. that it can actually cloud us from seeing the perfection of the person right in front of us. Definitely. I really enjoyed you're at your, one of your podcast episodes on relationship anxiety and you were interviewing a woman that was, that she works specifically with, with women that have relationship anxiety. And, and even that term I hadn't heard before, of course it makes a lot of sense. And, and, and I can also identify with overthinking, is this the right, is this the right? And I, and then I can look back and they, well, I think I've thought about every single partner that I've had the same questions and so that, and then it, it, through her story also, it was like, well, this is how I, you know, think about a lot of things. And there was like perfectionism within there. So it, could you give us a little overview of the relationship anxiety and then also what to do if we're caught in that vicious cycle? Yes, 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 yes. I think it's so helpful. I'm so, yeah, Sarah and others who was on the podcast who are doing work around that specifically, I just think it's so invaluable. So it could look like the questions, just identify that and to name it as relationship anxiety, rather than us seeing, having these thoughts and questions and interpreting it as truth. Like, oh, that's relationship Mm -hmm. anxiety. So like, do I love them enough? Am I attracted to them enough? Do they love me enough? Like, you know, will this last forever? Are our differences too great? Like, are we compatible? You know, what if the spark is fading? You know, so many different questions. Like, what about their differences around this? So it just can be when we're continually like kind of nitpicking things that our partner does, like we're definitely scanning for what isn't working and what's wrong about them and what might be better with somebody else and idealizing perhaps other people based on just yep. like their shiniest, because we're comparing like the shiniest qualities of someone else to the absolute worst things in our partner. <laughs> like it can look like that instead of realizing like, oh my gosh, all those wonderful shiny qualities on the flip side of them, there are also challenges. So For example, someone, maybe your partner, you're feeling like a little bored. And so you see someone who's like really dynamic and charismatic on the flip side of them could be like, they have a lot of opinions about things and are more particular about things or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. But it's just remembering like flipping over the things that we find challenging about our partner. Like, oh, there's actually some beautiful strength there that I really adore in them. And that very thing I'm idealizing, like on the flip side of that is probably a really challenging thing that I don't yet realize. 
So I think just learning how to nurture and tend to our own anxiety, for Mm -hmm. sure, creating vulnerable spaces with our partner where we can share, like, I'm having this story now. I'm just feeling scared about this right now. And like letting them, you know, we want to create a really safe space because of course that could be deeply painful for always bringing that up to our partner. So it's doing a lot of our own inner work and questioning the story, you know, so actually bringing it out into the light of like, okay, here's the question I'm having. Like, you know, do I love them enough? And really get curious about, curious about that with some belief, like, oh, I don't love them enough. Like, is that actually, is it actually true? Like enough for what? And mm-hmm. what do I love them enough for? Like, well, I do love them this much. And here's what we could actually create with the amount of love I have for them. So I think just, just being present rather than letting our anxiety unconsciously run the show. Mm-hmm. So Definitely. Yeah. Anxiety. Yeah. It's a tricky one. I feel like it's people, that word is also thrown around a lot and, and ultimately it's just the, the questioning, right. And feeling just not able to relax yeah, and it's so yeah. compelling and it's so convincing, you know, any of us that have been mm-hmm. in an anxious state, it's like, oh my gosh, in that moment, we truly think that. So what I love is rather than just mindset, it's like if we can shift our state, so doing any sort of calming, relaxing, you know, nervous system work is also all the buzz these days, which I am all right. for. Yeah, yeah. Um, if we can learn to like, <laughs> Yes, totally. We can learn to shift our state. So doing any sort of calming, relaxing, techniques. You can find lots of these online. If you look into nervous system regulation, like when we just change our physiological state, it actually changes then how we see things rather than even having to change the stories. We can go either way. We can kind of question our beliefs and that will calm us. We can also just, you know, we've all had the experience, right? You're just kind of stressed. Maybe you're in a rush and everything just like looks worse, or we just are feel triggered around something with our partner. And suddenly we just are questioning everything, right? Like, I don't even think I want to be with you or maybe ready to walk out the door and then like fast forward and it's the morning and you're like, oh my gosh, I love them so much. I can't believe I was thinking that because we're like in a triggered state right. and when we're emotionally charged and triggered, anxious, stressed, we physiologically lose the ability to see the picture clearly. Like we lose so much of our blood flow from our prefrontal cortex. Mm. It goes into our body for fight, flight, freeze, faint. And so in that, you know, like if something was chasing us, we don't want to see like, oh, the big picture. We want to just zoom in. Mm-hmm. Um, like right. what's life-threatening. And so we do that and we totally lose perspective. So the quicker we can get ourselves to a calm and relaxed state, ah, we'll actually be able to see our partners so much more clearly. That feels much more calming and comforting. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting about the that trauma response and the blood flow. It always helps me if I'm like in, uh, a, in a heightened stress state, like, oh gosh, it seems really, really, really compelling right now how I'm thinking but I'm Mm -hmm. like physiologically impaired. Like I cannot in this moment, like have empathy really. I cannot see the big picture. I'm seeing things like very black and white thinking. We don't see possibilities in those moments. So it's like, oh, just wait like 30 minutes or certainly the next day. It's going to look so different because we'll be in a different state. Exactly. And the sleep on it, we say just, you know, sleep on it. There's science behind that also. Same thing because you you need to, to, to let your state shift. So let's switching gears a little bit. What let's say couples have been together a long time or the physical attraction, the intimacy, or there's a differing level of, you know, one partner wants more physical intimacy, more sex, more, you know, and the other partner is not feeling it. How do you work with people in in those types of situations? Well, rest assured, 
if anybody is experiencing this, it is so, so, so common. Like initially, you know, we can be easy, not everyone though, but you feel a lot of like sparks. And so some people will continue to feel the sparks towards their partner. So easy. And so a couple things, one is that, and other people will not, is that a common dynamic that occurs is that one partner needs physical intimacy in order to feel close and the other partner needs emotional intimacy in order to want to be physical with their partner. Mm -hmm. And so that can become a standstill. Like, well, I'm not going to, you know, be intimate with you or make love to you when I feel so emotionally distant. No way. And so they back off even more. And the other person is starving for that physical closeness because to them, it means love. It means feeling wanted. It means feeling connected. And so just even physiologically, they don't naturally open their hearts and want to be close. And so that can just go on for so long, certainly create a power struggle around it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's like, you know, taking the higher and like leaning in, it's a question of like, what does this relationship need from me in order to go to the next level and how our relationship is a mirror? Like, huh, I have these unmet needs. I wonder what their unmet needs are right now. And I wonder what would happen if I just leaned in with that, even though it's not going to seem easy, right? In that moment when we're starving and any bit that we, in it, especially a healthy relationship, relatively healthy, any bit that we contribute to the relationship, we are part of the relationship. So it is truly also serving and supporting us. Like it's a way to like bring our partner back and to ultimately get our own needs met. Like supporting the needs of our partner, you know, can loop right back around to getting our own needs met. So just getting mm-hmm. curious, like what it, what does this relationship need for me right now? And seeing what the answer is, like, because maybe it is like nurturing physical intimacy. And I would say the other thing is to know the distinction between responsive desire and spontaneous desire. So spontaneous mm. desire happens for some people for a lifetime of a relationship. They just like, they see their partner and they're like, they're in the mood, they are ready. <laughs> and for other people, they're like, gosh, it just doesn't, that doesn't really happen until I feel like some level of arousal. So maybe there's some stimulation or they're making love or like there's something they're, they're mm-hmm. actually physically experiencing a state of arousal, then desire kicks in, but not until that moment. And so this is the notion of responsive desire. And so it's like so important that we don't just wait until we're in the mood that we actually, you know, work together to create a very pleasurable physical experience, whatever that might look like, and to get curious and collaborative about that. And Mm -hmm. then to kind of go to arousal as quickly as possible so that you can actually then feel like, oh, the desire, because it is medicine, like the oxytocin, all the chemicals that are released when we're physically with somebody, it is the analogy I use because it's perfect for this area is that it's like lubricant, you know, like Mm -hmm. in a relationship where things just, people like their hearts open, we feel more connected, happier, like without even trying. It just like changes Mm -hmm. our state and how we relate to one another. So yeah, so there's there's so many things about that. I would also say just if a couple is in a place where their physical intimacy has become difficult, certainly learning to communicate it about in a whole new way because we can very much misinterpret what our partner's doing as like, you don't care about me or what are all these different ways to learn to communicate about it in a whole new way. And then to make sure that non-sexual touch stays mm-hmm. alive. And we have this saying like, let a kiss just be a kiss or let a back rub just be a back rub because if a partner's right. afraid, like, I'm going to let them rub my back. And then they're going to like pull me into the bedroom. All of that can fall away too. So we just get further and further and further away from each other because physical intimacy mm-hmm. is like the full spectrum. So anyway, more right. I could say, but those are, those are a few little things. <laughs> That's great. That's good. I hear, you know, again, a lot of my friends are married for a long time. I mean, kids, I mean, it's just a long, yeah. Riding the, you know, the ups and downs 
of relationships. And one more, the the pillars of a thriving relationships or like the the main ingredients that, you know, throw it all in, mix it together. What would be those those main ingredients? Yeah. So a person we've already talked about several of them. So personal responsibility. So looking mm-hmm. at, you know, how how can I radically take responsibility for creating the best relationship possible and showing up in a way that brings out both of our best. Creating secure attachments, so important that we learn how Mm -hmm. to do that and intentionally create that so both of our nervous systems can relax and open and feel safe and loved and connected, all the things. Our love account, so that kind of ratio of Dr. John Gottman. So we want to always be just nurturing our relationships. So doing the fun stuff, having date nights, learning to love each other in a way that uniquely, like we're all a unique custom work of art and we want to learn how to love our partner and support them and appreciate them, all the things and and just prioritize our love, always be growing. So keeping the love account full, Um, learning how to heal from conflict, so important. And so again, don't want to avoid conflict, but we want to like learn and grow from it and make sure that we're not holding on to resentments and we're not carrying it into the future. If we fully heal from the past, we can fully move forward into the future. So that's so important. And physical intimacy is just so, Mm -hmm. so, so key and communication. So communication is the sixth month is, yeah, learning how to communicate. So many couples on their intake forms over the years, like what's bringing you in? It's like, oh, we need to learn how to communicate. And it's like the best thing because it's so learnable and so many issues Mm -hmm. that we feel like, oh, we just like, we are at a standstill, this issue. I think we can't resolve it. It is usually not about the issue at all. It's truly how we're communicating about it. So when we're armed with like communication superpowers, we can navigate almost anything with another human. Mm-hmm. So true. Beautiful, beautiful thing. That's the biggest. And how do people, how can people find you and work with you? What kind of things do you do? Let's say workshop wise, one-on-one like, or a cup. Do you work mainly with couples together? Not, not anymore. Not anymore. So okay. we, we started off working with couples together, which was so amazing. We developed kind of our methodology and all of our tools doing that. So it was the best and grew our relationship mm-hmm. so much as we were helping other couples. So we have, we have a whole team here now. So people can go to, so we're the center for thriving relationships. So we kind of abbreviated, if you go to centerthrive.com and center spelled C-E-N-T-E-R. So centerthrive.com. And so we have you know, therapists and coaches that serve people all over the world. And then we do a couples retreat. Brett and I lead that together. It's a weekend couples retreat. And it's like one of our favorite weekends of the entire year. And so you're warmly welcome. We really share the entire roadmap to relationships at that weekend. And you can just have a lot of privacy just to share things with your partner. And they have online courses around sexuality and relationships. And then we also have a relationship coach certification program. So people who would love to do kind of a deep dive for their own relationship. It's a six month program, all virtual and want to become certified and fully trained to be a relationship expert and to facilitate mm. these incredible breakthroughs for other couples. You can learn about that on our website as well. So we'd be honored to support anybody that we can possibly serve in creating the kind of love you've always wanted. Amazing. That's a lot that you offer at all different levels, which I love from in-person to you know, online courses and also your podcast as well, getting to yes. know you a bit more and the work that you do and and these amazing guests that you have on there. Such, so such a joy. So thank you so much. What are you looking forward to the most right now in your life? I love that. You know what I like, I really get excited about every single day of my life. So it's, mm-hmm. so it's spring here where I am and I just sitting out on 
the deck in the morning. I get up right as the sun is rising. And it is like, I say this to her, I'm like, it just never gets old. It's like Christmas morning mm-hmm. every day and like taking those moments of just like communing with peace and love and getting centered and just basking in the wonder. Like I truly feel level of excitement about that every single day. Like I can't wait to wake up to do, like I'm such a fan of practices and making our practices like delicious so that we truly are excited. Like we can't wait to get to the meditation cushion or sitting under a tree or whatever it is. So I'm Hmm. so excited for that every day of my life. Really, truly. That's a beautiful answer. Thank you. And I want to honor you for asking. (laughs) Yes. And well, one, one more, I love this question too. What are you most proud of up until right now? we're talking about relationships I'm really proud of what Brett and I have created together yeah it's Mm -hmm. really it feels like we've really consciously co-created the relationship we have and are continually co-creating it and yeah I'm really proud of what we've co-created it's become it is healed and transformed and elevated and expanded us on in ways beyond what I could ever imagine and and I think I'm probably most proud that we then have used that to serve the world because I think that's the ultimate, right? It's like we're healed, not just for ourselves, but we heal so we can be a contribution. And I'm just so grateful and so honored for any way that our relationship gets to be that for others. Mm-hmm. Yes, I want to acknowledge you for that because that is, again, the greatest gift that you could give yourself. And I've heard of this, you know, that this concept of relationships as a spiritual path as the you know the the fastest most beautiful way to growth and i think the fact that you are living that embodying that and serving others on such a massive scale that is very admirable so thank you for the work that you're doing and you're a beautiful human i've so loved much. this conversation right back at you i'm so <laughs> grateful for all the magic you are bringing to the world and all the conversations you have and all the ways that you are spreading love thank you so much for being here thanks so much that brings us to the end of this episode thank you so much for being here If you enjoy the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference for visibility and even better. Share this episode with a friend and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode every other Wednesday. If you're interested in working together to elevate your online presence, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me on Instagram at whereiswillow. I also hang out on LinkedIn, Willow McDonough. Until then, cheers to carving your own fucking path. I love you.